So, well, great. Welcome to God's call to the future healthcare professional. I'm uh, just delighted that you guys are here. I'm glad you're here at the conference. It's going to be an outstanding time, and I pray that God's going to use this remarkably uh, in each of your lives. But uh, I've got a very special treat for you guys today, and it's an extra bonus. Um, and, uh, and not only um, am I going to talk about some stuff, and by the way, my name is Dr. J. Scott Reese. I'm with the Christian Medical and Dental Associations, and I'm vice president and in charge of all of our campus ministries and all the medical schools. And we have, of course, medical and dental students, pharmacy, nursing students, therapy students, and undergraduate college students are getting more and more involved in CMDA through the year. So really excited about that. So I'll tell you more about that. But the cool thing, which you guys are going to get now, is the bonus. We didn't advertise this because we knew the room wouldn't be big enough if we advertised <laughs> that Renee Lick is also here. And she, you're going to be able to hear from her too. Renee and, actually, and I actually um, gave uh, a talk like this at Urbana. How many of you heard of Urbana before? Have any been to Urbana? Woo. Okay. One person. Okay. Thank you. So, um, good, because you, you, none of you will have heard it before. But I saw Renee, who thought she wasn't going to be able to be here, who wound up being able to come the last minute. I said, Renee, why don't you come give this talk with me again? Let's do it. And that was an hour ago. And so, courageous Renee jumped up and said yes to it. So, Renee, why don't you just introduce yourself real quick before we get started? Sure. Well, it's good to be here with you all today. As Scott said, my name is Renee Lick. Um, I am a nurse. And I work in Chicago. Um, I work full-time with Nurses Christian Fellowship as their student ministries director. And I also work full-time um, well, full with Nurses Christian Fellowship and part-time at Lawndale Christian Health Center, which is an inner-city clinic on the west side of Chicago. Um, my history in nursing is I also worked in the ICU in New Mexico, and that was my first major cross-cultural experience at Gallup um, at Rehoboth McKinley. Um, about 10 years ago, and um, then moved to Chicago to come on staff with the university because I saw just the need there was for nursing students to be better prepared to care holistically for their patients, so caring for their spiritual needs as well as their physical and emotional needs, as well as how to care um, for your own spiritual health during that time too. So working in the ICU was really intense, and it was great, but I see the ways that God is leading um, nurses to really be there with people um, during some of the most, um, the crisis times of their lives and some of the most difficult times in their lives. But that's often when God speaks to us is through those times of hardship. So I'm glad to be here and um, give us much grace as we <laughs> do this today, but we're really excited to talk with you about God's call on your life. Thanks. Thanks, Renee. Super glad you're here with this. This is this is great. So yeah, we did kind of do a last minute audible, but that's all right. It's, I'm, I'm a Peyton Manning fan, and he used to do that all the time. So let's um, let's just open in a word of prayer as as we get started. Father, what a privilege it is to uh, to realize that you indeed have a call on our lives. Lord, I thank you so much for our friends that have gathered, and Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with us over this next hour. Um, I pray that you would speak as we need to hear you. I pray for uh, protection against distraction Mm -hmm. for the message that uh, you want to communicate in and through us. So, Lord, we give you thanks. We're excited about what you're doing in each of our lives for the sake of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, as we get started, as I said, I'm with CMDA. I'm also a family doctor and uh, practice in private practice as well as academia and uh, led mission trips for bunches of years and taken hundreds of students overseas to experience God's call as far as missions goes. But, uh, but what you really want to know is this about me. This is my family. And um, yeah, you're supposed to go, aw. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, on, the, on your left side is Jason. He's 14. And uh, then Grace, who's a junior at Asbury University, just down the road in Kentucky here. And then on the far right is Lauren, who's a high school senior, um, and uh, she's headed to Word of Life Bible Institute, and then probably to Liberty University after that, she says. And then Jody beside me. Jody's holding our fourth child, Sparky. And uh, so, so that's our crew. But, but enough about Renee and I. What about you guys? What I'm real interested in is knowing is what are you guys doing? How many of you are nursing students? Raise your hand. <clears throat> Excellent. Nursing over here. How many of you are pharmacy students? In oh. the back, of course. And 
I don't know why, of course, just of course. Uh, uh, how about physical therapy or occupational therapy or speech or some sort of therapy therapy? All right. Excellent. You guys hold the fort down here. Um, how about medical students? Oh, wow. Excellent. Excellent. Medical students. Any dental students? Yes. Nice. Uh, residents? Any residents? All right. Yes. Uh, what else did I miss? Pre-med. Pre-med. Yes. Or pre-healthcare professional something. something. Yes. There you go. Woohoo! Excellent. So this is awesome. And I'm so glad you guys are now at this stage kind of engaging and asking, okay, what is this? Is? So we're going to talk about a few things this morning. Uh, is related to God's call on your life as a healthcare professional. What does this look like? We're going to talk about defining your call. Okay. How do, you, how do you figure this whole thing out? What things are so critical to know? You've got to know them now. We're going to talk a little bit about developing your call. After you have that sense, then how do you start fleshing this out? And then we're going to spend a little bit of time about discharging your call. When I say discharge, I don't mean discharge like a noun, like, doctor, I have a discharge. Right? That's a different talk entirely. I mean discharging, like working it out. What do you do? What are the practical aspects of that? So Renee's going to launch us out here talking about defining our call first. Yeah, excellent. Can I put this down? Why don't you click that on instead of holding it? Okay. As we um, thought and prayed about God's call in your life, what really came to our attention was that God's first call in our life is to be disciples. Um, so we can't be sent until we're first following Jesus. Um, and we're not defined um, so that we're not defined by what we do, but we're really defined by who we belong to. Um, and all of us who are following Christ belong to God. We're children of God. And that's just so foundational because there's so many things that can get you off course when you're in school and when you're practicing. But if you know whose you are, that you belong to God, that's really going to make your steps um, clear before you and God's going to be guiding you each each step of the way. First um, John 3 reminds us that see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is who we are. So when I was a student, I went to the Urbana Student Missions Conference, and I felt like I had my life pretty much figured out. So I was a really good student, and um, yet I had felt God calling me into nursing. And that, to me, felt like a humbling experience already, because I thought <coughs> I should have the highest aspirations that were possible, and yet... God really said, no, nursing is what I want you to do. And yet he knew that I needed to be humbled even more. And so at Urbana, I was telling everybody, well, I'm a nurse, but I'm going to work at a really prestigious hospital so that um, I can be at the forefront of whatever's happening in healthcare. And yet at Urbana, God reminded me, and he said, Renee, I didn't call you into nursing for your glory, but for my glory. And I knew at that point that I needed to have my priorities um, readjusted once again. And so I wasn't going to be working at a place where it was famous or people knew where that place was, but I was going to be working among people that were often forgotten at a place that nobody had ever heard of or maybe one person had heard of, Um, but really going wherever God was calling me and making sure that my main goal was to serve him first, um, not myself and not making my own name great. So I realized that the invitation from Jesus at that time was still the same, and his invitation was still follow me. And so that may change across the course of our lives, but that invitation is always, always there and it remains the same. So our first call is to be followers of Jesus, to live fully for him. And then our second call is to be sent. And that's why many of you are here, because you want to know, where's God sending me? And I love the story of Jesus sending out the 72. I think of these as his first interns or his first students, right? Um, but he wanted them to be able to learn from him and then to be able to practice what he had taught them. He sent them out into groups of two by two to places where he was going to be later on. Um, And he said to them, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. So he told them at the beginning, this is going to be hard. This is not going to be easy. And I'm sure you've had people tell you that already about school and your training, but to be ready for that and to know that God's going to give you the strength and he's going to sustain you along the way. So there's a few things I want to point out to you from this passage that I found really helpful about Jesus' first disciples. And the first is that they were available. They didn't say, you know, I'm too busy right now. I can't take on one more thing. Jesus, can you come back later? 
um, but they were available to him at that time. The second is that they obeyed. And so even though he was asking them to do things that were really hard, they continued to say yes to him. He wasn't painting, painting a very pretty picture, and I'm sure that you've heard from other students ahead of you that what you're entering into is not easy, and yet they were obedient. He calls us to do the same. And then thirdly, they practiced holistic ministry. So Jesus said in Luke 8, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So this reflects to us really God's um, gospel of the kingdom, that he's come not just to save us when we die, but to heal us at this present time, to make our lives whole, to meet our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual needs. And so they were able to practice that holistic ministry as they followed Jesus. And then finally, this is the best part. They rejoiced when they saw what God had done. And I think when you get busy, you get into your practice, it's easy to see those things, and yet you're so busy, you move on to the next one instead of pausing and thanking and rejoicing God for what he's done. They knew that they were not the ones that were doing the healing. The power wasn't theirs, but it was God's power, and God was the one who had to be given the glory at the end. So in healthcare, we have an amazing opportunity to be sent out as God's hands and feet, um, and yet being reminded that we're the vessels that he's using. He's the one who's able to bring them to himself and to really heal them in many different ways. So Scott is up next year. He's going to continue on talking about our call. Thanks. Mm-hmm. No, I think oh, yeah. what Renee is talking about is critically fundamental here, and that's keeping first things the first things. Because sometimes I think... You know, in my life, we try to jump right to, okay, God, where are you sending me? What's my story? What should I do? Where should I do it? But we forget about the first things, which is loving Jesus first. Mm-hmm. And um, C.S. Lewis has, has a quote that really I, th- I find very, very helpful as I remember and I think about this. And here's what he said. He said, when we put first things first, second things, we get second things thrown in. right? Mm-hmm. But when we try to put second things first... We lose them both. So keeping first things first is critical. And I, that's what Renee's talking about here. So uh, let me ask you a question here. How many of you, when you think about your story, what God is writing in your lives is your story, how many of you, and it's not a trick question, how many of you sort of think maybe I kind of got it figured out? Now, before you answer, what I mean is this. Not like I know all things and figured out the meaning of life, but... I sort of have an idea of what the story might be. I mean, I'm going to go and graduate from college, get married, maybe have some kids, serve the Lord, maybe do some missions. How many sort of like, yeah, I kind of, I mean, I'd raise my hand with that. So, you, yeah, I mean, honestly. Well, I want, let me tell you a story about somebody else who thought they kind of had it all figured out. And this story takes place here. Anybody know where that picture might be? Any guesses? Anybody? Here's a... Hint, these little green things are bulrushes. Oh, yeah. So not all at once. Say it louder. Egypt. Yeah, that's the Nile River. Exactly. And this story is about a guy named Mo. Zis. Uh, And um, Moses, you know the story. Moses is born. He's a Hebrew. And it was kind of a bad time to be born as a Hebrew boy because they were kind of like cutting off heads and all this stuff. And so he gets stuck in a basket, goes down the basket, and just happens to be found by the princess, right, who just happens to be there and just happens to change the whole history of mankind. And so he gets the jackpot of fast foster families, right? I mean, this guy becomes a prince, literally. He's got like the best education. He's got the best clothes, eating the best food, driving the Pharaoh's Ferrari. I mean, it is a sweet deal. He's living the dream. And life is all good. He thinks he has it all figured out until that one day. And you remember what happened on that one day with Moses? Right? He's walking through, done, doing his Pharaoh stuff, and he sees somebody beating up one of the Hebrew people, and he reaches back and he, and he smashes in that guy's skull um, with a CMDA football. No, not with this. So, there you go. Heads up. Nice. Nice catch. Good. Now you're awake. And so uh, he smashes in the head, kills this guy, so he's got to get out of Dodge. So he leaves Egypt, and he heads to Midian in the middle of the night and totally starts over. This wasn't his plan, but he did, and God was gracious, and he met this wonderful Midianite family, stayed with them. They had a cute daughter. That didn't hurt. And so he enrolls in shepherding school, 
and does well. He gets accepted to shepherding residency. It's really good. In fact, he takes a fellowship in desert shepherding, and it's sweet. He's living the dream again. He has some kids. Um, it's a different dream than he thought, but it was still good. I mean, Moses was a good husband. Moses was a good father. He loves God, and it was all going pretty good, right? But um, God still had a different plan for Moses. You remember that whole burning bush thing, right? God, he goes to, finds his bush on the fire, but it's not burning up, and walks up to it and, and uh, encounters God. And God says to Moses, uh, this is, you know, um, the original Greek translation, actually, yo, dude. Um, well, okay, now that was just Reese's translation. But anyway, he says, God says to Moses, Moses, I know you're loving me. You're, you're doing a good job as a shepherd. In fact, I want you to take those shepherding skills that you have and not to use them to shepherd sheep anymore. I want you to use them to shepherd my people. See, I want you to use your profession as your ministry. Hmm. Well, Moses didn't take that as such good news, at least at the start. And you remember what he did? He gave God like every excuse in the book. Well, wait, wait a minute, God. I, I don't think that can be done. Wait a minute. I'm not trained for that. I don't have the words. And frankly, I'm not sure. Do I have a right to talk to people about this stuff? I mean, is it even legal, right, to do this, what you're asking me to do? And God kind of patiently waited for Moses all along the way. Uh, and then finally God said, okay, Moses, it's my turn to ask a question. And do you remember the question God asked Moses? Here's what he said. He said in Exodus 4, 2, he says, Moses, what's in your hand? And what was in Moses' hand? A staff, right? And so God says, okay, Moses, throw the staff down. And Moses throws the staff down. And then the staff becomes a snake. And Moses goes, Ee! and God says, pick it up. And Moses says, huh? pick it up. Okay. And he picks it up and it comes a staff again. And then scripture tells us he did this so that they might believe. Okay, so they might believe. So have you ever paused to think about this? And it's an interesting thing. Why did God ask Moses this question? What's in your hand? I mean, was Moses doing one of these things? Like, right? No, I mean, it's not like God didn't know what was in Moses' hand. So why did God ask Moses? Well, the reason he wanted Moses to be keenly aware of precisely what was in his hand at that moment, it was just his staff. I mean, what's magical about a staff? Nothing. Right? It's common. It's every day. It was the tool of his trade, wasn't it? It's what he depended on as his livelihood. I mean, he's shepherding people, remember? He's a fellowship-trained shepherd. Right? It represented his profession. And guess what? It represents ours, too. Right? The common, the everyday, the usual. See, God asked Moses that question, not so much so that he'd recognize what was in his hand, but more for who it belonged to. That's what God was asking him. Not for what it is, but for whose it is. And God, I think, asks us that same question too. And healthcare is no exception. As you go forward in healthcare, whether it's as a physician, whether it's as a dentist, a nurse, a therapist, pharmacist, whatever, um, God is going to put something common every day in your hand, but He wants to use it for His kingdom glory. Right? He wants it to use it so that we can put it back to the throne of God so that others might believe. Okay? So as you think about defining your call, a question I ask myself with some regular frequency is, okay, Scott, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? And that reminds me of Moses at that time. So I think that's a good question for all of us to ask. Okay, okay so that's talking about defining your call. Let's shift a little bit and talk about uh, developing your call. And this is where it's going to get uh, a little bit interactive here for a second. Okay? What we're going to do is give you a little case study. And so here's your assignment. We're, you're gonna, we're going to read this case. And there's going to be two questions that follow. What I want you to do is look at the person next to you after we're done and just talk about it for a second. Now, you're only going to get two minutes. So don't talk about like, isn't the conference great? Yeah, where are you from? What happened here? Let's just get right to it. Okay, everybody? Got it? Capiche? Good. Uh, capiche, thank you. Um, 
Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the case. So you're following Jesus. You're doing all this stuff. How do you figure out how to do this now? You're in this case. You're taking care of Jennifer. And Jennifer's presented with some escalating headaches. Now, a thorough evaluation has been done already. It's ruled out all the bad stuff, secondary causes, brain tumors, aneurysms, meningitis, all the bad stuff, okay? And so you're discussing this with her. You're giving her those reassuring findings, and you're talking with her. And then as you do, she's kind of relieved in a sense, but then she opens up a little bit more to you. Maybe it's at the pharmacy. Maybe it's lying on the table for therapy. Maybe it's in the doctor's office. Maybe it's in the hospital bed. But she's opening up to you about the stress in her life. And she's kind of sharing some pretty weighty issues about guilt and about fear. And now you start sensing, well, okay, maybe some of these primary underlying issues about her anxiety uh, are causing some of the anxiety, some of this guilt and this fear. And maybe even her headaches are related to some spiritual issues. So maybe, just maybe, God's allowed a divine appointment between you and she. Okay, so that's where you are. You're looking at Jennifer. So here's the first question to talk about with your neighbor. Number one, is it acceptable? Is it legal? Is it even ethical to discuss spiritual health with your patients? That's a good question to start with. And there's not no trick question. And so discuss that a little bit. And then if you say yes, uh, part two is, so what would you say? All right, what would you say to Jennifer at this point? Okay, two minutes. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor, and uh, then we'll regather. What's coming up next? Yeah, that's right. It's like case study, spiritual history, okay, profession. Okay, then I've just got a few stories. You want your computer to be looking at it down there? Sure. That'd probably be good. Yeah, they're just doing a two-minute little. Uh, they're doing just a two-minute little work uh, oh, exercise. Make sure you didn't have problems. Oh no, no, by all means, go. Good, good. Okay. Oh, this is the other printed version. Yeah, yeah. So there's the printed one. I'll put this down here. Okay. You've got a version. You've got one up there, though, right? Pardon me. This isn't the. This is the. That's only. an extra. Oh, okay. Do you want to ask for the feedback then about thoughts? Oh. Why don't you do that? Because I, I got another section coming up after this. I think that's what we did in our band. Okay. You want to do that? Sure. How much time has it been so far, do you know? It's probably been uh, right about two minutes here. So we're just going to ask, show of hands, mm-hmm. yes, no, and, and then the third one, you know, how many are like, I'm not sure on that first part. I have no idea whether it's legal or all that. 
and then maybe solicit a couple of audience feedback things, okay. and then I'll come back and do that. Okay. Okay, we're going to pull it back together oh, again oh, here. Uh, Is that the right one? Okay. Can you hear me now? Okay. So I'd love to get a show of hands here. I'm glad that you guys are so excited to talk about this. This is great. How many of you say, yes, it is ethical and right to talk with your patient about their spiritual health? Can I get a show of hands? Okay. So now, moving on, what would you say if about Jennifer... About no. How about no's? How many say you're not sure, maybe? You're just not really sure if that's okay or not? A few hands? No? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we want to tell you that it is okay, um, and we'd love to hear some of your thoughts about how you would respond if Jennifer was your patient. How would you go about kind of digging a little bit deeper and seeing um, where she was at spiritually? Go ahead. So asking about their support systems and maybe a little bit about what her beliefs are at this point and how those could be connected. That's good. Anybody else? What would you say to Jennifer? I saw you all talking. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably ask this like an open-ended question so can you tell me a little bit about your spiritual beliefs? Mm-hmm. To kind of figure out what they are and mm-hmm. then proceed from there and like sharing if she was a Christian or you know Catholic or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. So doing a little bit of a spiritual history to know what her beliefs were in the past and maybe some things that were helpful. So if you find out that she has a faith background, you know, has prayer been helpful for you in the past? Are there other things that have been helpful for you in the past as well? Anybody else? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, asking permission and then seeing if prayer was something that would be helpful for her right there. Very good. Was there another hand up here? Go ahead. Yeah, I would want to know what are some of the issues that are causing her stress. Mm-hmm. How does she typically deal with them? Mm-hmm. And then feel free to offer some suggestions on how I typically respond mm. to those mm-hmm. stress issues. Yeah. So reflecting back to her what you're seeing in her. So using some of those um, communicating healthy tools that you've probably learned in school about mm-hmm. it looks to me like you're really overwhelmed or you're feeling really stressed. You know, what are things that you've done in the past, or can I give you some suggestions about how to deal with that as well? Um, yeah, and doing that initial assessment on your patient, asking those questions um, <coughs> is so important so that you're meeting them on their spiritual journey where they are, and you're able to be that person that helps them connect with God in those moments where they really need him the most. Okay, now Scott's going to give us a little bit more background on how we can do that. We're doing the chord dance around here. There we go. Woohoo! All right, someone needs to sing now. Okay, so here's a question. If you had uh, an intervention that was proven to positively impact health, had little to no side effects, had little to no cost, (laughs) would it be ethical to withhold that from patients? Probably not, right? Well, it turns out, actually, the literature has a bunch to say about faith, about religion, and its intersection with healthcare. So let's talk about that a little bit as we think about this idea of developing your call. Because it's, the key is to think about now. What can you do, even as a student, as you engage in some of these things? And as Renee alluded to, this idea of taking a spiritual history and a spiritual Assessment. Can you do that? Well, absolutely. Not only can you, you should you. Okay? And so let's talk about that. Well, let's talk about some of what the literature shows about spiritual assessment, about spiritual history. The first thing to understand is that patients want you to ask about this. Okay? Patients want you. Studies show that up to about 85% of people desire the person providing health care to them to inquire about their personal, spiritual, or faith beliefs. Okay? In fact, in one particular study, uh, of those that wanted their provider to engage with them in matters of their faith, about 76% of them said, yeah, depending on what the situation is, I'd like my nurse, doctor, therapist, pharmacist to, to ask, to know where I'm coming from. 
um, you know, maybe not if it's not the right time. I'm in a hurry. It's just I'm there for an ingrown toenail. But maybe, yeah, depending on what it is, 25% of the people of those that said they wanted to said, yeah, just any time. I mean, ask. No, it's important to me. In fact, what the patient said was they believed that your ability as a provider of health care would influence their ability to receive from you realistic hope. It also influenced your medical advice that you gave to them. I mean, doctor's going to help me to know and understand and put in practice your medical advice if, you know where I'm, if I know that you know where I'm coming from with my faith. And especially doctor, nurse, therapy, if you want to change my therapy, you should know about that. So patients it's, want us to inquire about this, the spiritual history. Well, not only that, but the evidence supports it. And there's a lot of it. Let me just give you a couple of highlights. Um, this particular study, published in the Journal of uh, Nervous and Mental Diseases, had, had a quote that sums it up pretty nicely. Religion and spirituality are among the most important factors that structure human experience, beliefs, values, behavior, and illness patterns. Okay? Now, interestingly, uh, maybe the most powerful rationale for taking a spiritual history doesn't come so much even from the positive effects of faith and religion on healthcare, but the potential negative effects of not having a religious foundation. Well, what does that mean? Well, this particular study in the Archives of Internal Medicine asked a question that went like this. As they're thinking through this, you know, are religious beliefs a source of comfort and support for the patient or... Are they a source of stress and emotional turmoil? What did they find when they studied that? Well, they studied about 600 patients in the hospital prospectively. And what they found was if a patient believed one of these things, that God had abandoned them, God was punishing them in some way, that maybe God didn't love them, uh, and that if there was a God, he was sort of powerless to do anything about their current situation, or if their church that they had associated with previously had deserted them for whatever reason, maybe lifestyle issues, who knows. Uh, If they believe some of this, guess what? Between 19 and 28% higher risk of mortality. That's the risk of dying up to 28%. And not just in the hospital, but for the next two years. So, let me ask you, if, if you are now their nurse, if you're their pharmacist, if you're their doctor, wouldn't you want to know about that risk factor? I mean, that's a big risk factor, isn't it? Well, of course, uh, faith and religion also plays a big positive role in people's health. Okay? Uh, in this particular study, um, in Archives of Family Medicine, uh, had a good, a good statement. It said, a large proportion of published empirical data suggests that religious commitment plays a beneficial role in several things. In the prevention of illness, physical and mental illness. Not only prevention, but also improving your coping skills for when you're dealing with that illness. And if you have a religious commitment, it's going to help you get better. Okay? So, not only do patients want it, not only does evidence support it, but your profession expects it. And my profession expects it. Um, In general, another great quote from social sciences medicine says this. In general, studies suggest that infrequent religious attendance should be regarded as a consistent risk factor for morbidity and mortality of various types. So if you're not going regularly, if you're going infrequently, you should consider that a risk factor. And it's actually the standard of care. There's a number of professional organizations. I won't go through each of these for the sake of time, but multiple professional organizations, national professional organizations have said, yes, this is standard of care to take a spiritual history, to do a spiritual assessment on your patient. In fact, the Joint Commission uh, says this, that, that you should, at a very minimum, determine the patient's, at least the patient's denomination, their beliefs, and what spiritual practices are important to them, that this information would assist in determining the impact of spirituality, if any, on the care being provided and will help identify 
if any further assessment is needed. So basically the, the Joint Commission, which is the organization that oversees all of the hospitals and the clinics and the outpatient centers and the surgery centers, says you should ask about their spiritual history. Okay? Because if you don't, you're ignoring something really critical. So the next time, or the first time, someone comes up and, and, and somebody questions you about it, right? Maybe it's your supervisor, Maybe it's your senior resident. Maybe it's your attending. And they say, well, wait a minute. Why are you talking to the patient about this spiritual stuff? That should be kept out of medicine. I mean, you know, we're here to be professional. And then all you have to do is say, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't realize. Would you please help me understand? What is it that, uh, that you know that the Joint Commission doesn't know? Because they, they said we had to do this. And so uh, you be equipped. And by the way, the handout is available on the website um, with some of these things. Okay. So, and not only that, but here's nursing. Uh, for those of you that were the nursing students, the Code of Ethics for Nurses says you ought to do this. Right? The nurse promotes an environment which spiritual beliefs so the individual, family, and community are respected. Uh, and then the standards for clinical nursing presses includes an assessment of the spiritual dimension. Okay, so if you're going to do this then, how do you do it? I mean, how do you ask these things? I mean, are you going to sit there and say, well, okay, um, are you married? Are you sexually active? Do you smoke? And no, God, tell me. <laughs> uh, well, well, you actually can use it in part of the in social history intake too. But there's some other ways you can do it. And you can just explain how the research has shown that the interaction that they have in a religious sense can impact their health. And is it okay if you ask a couple questions? So they're really easy to do. So how do you do this when you're sitting down? Okay, um, how, how many of you know a mnemonic? Do you know any mnemonics? Raise your hand if you know a mnemonic. How many of you have scrambled mnemonic soup in your brain? Raise your hand, yes. How many of you get mnemonic headaches? It's a new ICD-10 classification. No, not really. So um, there's so many mnemonics sitting around there. I, can't, I need mnemonics to remember my mnemonics. But I thought, well, maybe. So there's a new. There's several mnemonics that are available to you um, that are great to helping you remember and helping you go through asking a spiritual history. I'm going to just give you one because it's just so simple that even I can remember it. So I think, okay, wait, I'm asking about God. So if I was going to ask about God and what God's doing in their life and if they have an interest in God or that they... God, maybe I could use a mnemonic just called God questionnaire. And so this is actually from my good friend, uh, Dr. Walt Larimore, sitting in the back very quietly, uh, and who's got a talk coming up. What was your talk next, uh, next hour or tomorrow? Tomorrow morning. So you want to you learn more about this in the real deal, then go to Dr. Larimore's talk. But um, uh, so Walt and so I just came up with... Um, this God questionnaire. And it's very simple. Here's what G stands for. G stands for, well, God. Okay, And it's just a reminder to ask, is God, is faith, is prayer, is religion, is that something that's important to you? I mean, that's a cool question, right? Easy question. Is, is that something that's important to you? Now, what are they going to say? They might say, no. Uh, actually, in my experience, if they say no, it's usually not just going to be no. It's going to be, no, and don't talk to me about stuff because I'm an atheist. And I, you know, which is really a cool answer. I love it when somebody does that because it really, they're really sort of opening up and, and sharing where they're at. Mm-hmm. I love it. Most of the time it doesn't happen. Most of them are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they say, oh, yeah, 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 what does that tell you? Absolutely nothing, right? <laughs> um, just that they acknowledge God. Okay, great. So you got to go on into the O. What is... O stands for others. And so just, you know, are you engaging with others? So do you participate in a religious or faith community? So you you said you acknowledge God's important. Do you do anything with that? Do you gather with people? And if so, how often? And then the D is do. Okay, so God, others do. Um, So what can I do to assist you as I give you your care? And what do you want me to understand about the intersection of your faith and your medical care? Is there anything I can do to help here? Okay. So you can approach this with them with, with permission and, uh, and, and they love it. Great way to launch.
Okay, so once you've learned that perspective of their faith, you can look for other opportunities now to engage them in their spiritual journey. So this is, um, we're going to talk about prayer. Renee's going to come back and uh, talk for a few minutes about prayer. And what does that look like with patience? And let me just ask if she's coming. How many, first of all, is it okay to pray with patience? Yes. Raise your hand if you say yes. It's okay all the time to pray with patience. Oh, wait, 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 your hands are going up. Okay. How about no, it's not okay to pray with patients. Not sure. It might cross the border and professional visit. So, okay, we have the choir here. Okay, good. How about you? Like, I'm not real sure. The truth to that is both answers are correct. Um, yes, the answer is yes and no. The answer is no. It's not okay to pray with patients unconditionally. Okay. Not okay, un, without conditions. So there are some conditions. Uh, but the answer is yes. It's fine to pray with the patients. They want to pray. In many ways, it's a great ministry, conditionally. So, Renee, come talk to us about that. Okay, well, I want to share one um, brief story about a day when I was working at the clinic and I had this woman come into the triage office. So at the clinic, um, people would come in with a lot of different questions. Sometimes they were getting a TB test. Sometimes they were in for other things. But this woman walked in and she sat down and I soon found out that she was there to get her HIV results that day. Now, she didn't really need to see me, so I wasn't sure why she was there, but she began quickly to tell me her life story. And what happened most recently was that she had learned that a man that she had been with um, was HIV positive, and this was very distressing for her. And she talked about all the hopes and the dreams that she had for her life and for the life of her two-year-old son. She mentioned that she wanted to be able to raise him well, that she had plans to go on to nursing school, and then she said, I just want God to give me a second chance. So I knew from that one statement that she believed in God and that she believed that God had the power to do something and to transform her life, to make an impact in her life. Um, So she continued to talk, and I could tell that she was really anxious about getting her HIV results that day. So I asked, you know, can I pray with you? And she said, yes, definitely. And then I asked, well, what would you like me to pray for? Because that's one thing I've noticed over the years is that we can assume what our patients want prayer for, but it's really important that we ask them what they would like us to pray for. And so she said, pray for my two-year-old son and pray that I would be able to raise him well. And so I prayed for that, and we sat there in the office. Um, I also prayed just for her as she entered into um, getting her results that God would be present with her in that time. And then she returned maybe 10 or 15 minutes later, and she was jumping up and down, and she grabbed me and was jumping up and down. And she said, God's given me a second chance. My results came back negative, and I know that this was his work in my life. She said, I'm going to be in church on Sunday, and I'm going to thank him, and I'm going to praise him, because I know that he has a purpose and a plan for me. Now, I don't know if anything would have been different if we hadn't prayed for her that day as far as her outcome, but she was able to see that this was God's hand on her life, and she was able to see the ways that God was making a way for her, the way that he was guiding her and protecting her. Um, And she was able to give him the glory. And so being obedient, I was just happened to be there at that time, but also being aware of what she was saying, what was I picking up on in that assessment of where she was at, and then also being available to God as we prayed for her were all really important. Now Scott's going to come up and talk a little bit more about faith flags, I believe. Yeah. Try not to step on yours this time. So, um, you, you know, as we pray for patience, you know, as Renee shared that awesome story, I mean, three things to keep in mind. With uh, It's okay if you pray with them. First, you need to do so with respect, right? Respect. What is God doing in their lives? With sensitivity, okay, this may or may not be the right time. Uh, and the third thing is, and always is, with permission. Mm-hmm. Okay, with permission. Ask them. That's a period at the end of that statement. So with sensitivity, with respect, with permission, absolutely it's fine to pray with mm-hmm. patients. 
Well, now, what about sharing your faith with patients? Can you do that? How can you do that? Now, what if there was a way you could, with every patient that you see, even as a student, you could share your faith with them? Wouldn't that be super cool? Well, good news is there is a way. And uh, we call that actually faith flags. And this comes from um, a wonderful program that that CMDA has had with uh, several of our friends, including uh, Dr. Laramore, put together 15 or so years ago um, and, and talked about how do you raise faith flags with patients. Okay, Because we know we can't sit down with every patient that we see and go through the gospel presentation, right? It's just not possible. It's not practical. And it's not where many people are at. But we can raise these things we call faith flags. Okay, so what's a faith flag? Well, a faith flag is just a very brief statement that occurs in the course of natural conversation, just like we're talking, and it just kind of comes up. Typically, it's, you know, three or four seconds long, okay? And it helps identify you as someone to whom God, prayer, the faith, um, Bible, scripture uh, is, is important. That's all the faith flag is. It just sort of raises up a little flag up the pool and, and it looks for a response. It doesn't demand a response. So it also isn't this, okay? Um, it's also not like Christianese. So this would be a, not a faith flag. Like, well, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Yeah. Not a faith flag. Okay. But just a simple conversation about something maybe God has done in your life. Uh, or just the thing, you know, hey. And, you know, prayer is often, an invitation for prayer is often a great faith flag. Okay. And again, they're very short. Um, here's, maybe, here's a little example. Um, maybe you've just gone through caring for them, talking about some chronic illness stuff. Maybe you could just re- ask this question. Uh, is there anybody that you know that could pray for you while you're recovering from this? Wow, and that's very simple, very clear. What does that do? It tells the patient something. It tells the patient that by virtue of the fact that you're asking them that, that you must view it as something important. And so from that little faith flag, they may be like, oh, well, yeah, as a matter of fact. They may say, they may just totally miss it, like, nope, nope, Doc, I don't go to church. I don't do any of that stuff. Okay. Was that a response? Well, that's a response. But was it an invitation to go further? Not really. But if they say, no, but I just wish I knew somebody who would do this, would pray for me. Is that an invitation to go further? Yeah, it is. Or maybe an invitation to do a spiritual referral. That sometimes what these do, as you run these little faith flags up the pole, which are absolutely fine and encouraged, and it's something you do with every patient, it might open up an opportunity to go to share a faith story. Okay, so if they give a response, like it opened the door, a little crack, maybe you can share something else, like a faith story. Well, it's a faith story. Faith story is just kind of a short story that tells how God or a biblical principle or something became real to you in your life during your journey. Okay, so a little story. I mean, a little practical story. God's writing stories on all of our lives all the time. So a faith flag, if they open the door, might lead to a faith story. Maybe you'll encounter a faith crisis and need to do a spiritual referral okay, to someone, to a Christian counselor, to a pastor, um, to, to someone there. So, so here's, here's an example. Let me tell you about Shirley. Shirley was a dyed-in-the-wool New Englander. She had moved from Boston to Indianapolis. I mean, she had the accent. She had the... St- you know, a typical New Englander person. But she moved to Indianapolis to care, be cared for kind of by her daughter who lived in town. And I had the privilege of meeting uh, Shirley. But Shirley was a remarkable woman for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, she had, had three primary cancers, meaning, you know, three totally different unrelated type of cancers. So it's obviously cancer is not that unusual. And it's not that unusual to get a second primary cancer. But to get a third completely unrelated is pretty unusual. So she had developed and survived breast cancer. She had developed and survived colon cancer. She had now developed endometrial cancer. And it looked like now she would not be surviving that third cancer. So she did come back to the office. We were reviewing some of these tests. And we were looking at the prognosis, which wasn't good. So after we had done that, you know, I set some of the stuff down. And I looked at Shirley. And I said, Shirley, 
These uh, obviously aren't the results we were hoping from from these tests. Um, and I know this has got to be causing some stress and anxiety and maybe even some fear. Surely, a, a lot of times like this, uh, we'll, we'll just pause and, and pray about this. Would it be okay if, if I said a word of prayer uh, for you? And jovial, smiling, surely, it was just all of a sudden like a a nor'easter blew into the room. And her demeanor completely changed. Her eyes squinted, her jaw muscles clenched. She closed her body positioning. It was every, every signal in the book saying, mm. And so she looked me in the eye, squinted just a little bit. Never had seen her do this. And she said, Doc, don't give me that God stuff. I'm an atheist. I've never thought there's a God. What has God done for me with my cancers? Wow. Okay. So... I didn't pray, obviously. Um, <laughs> at least not out loud. I was praying a bunch, actually. And um, so the visit ended, and uh, a little awkwardly, okay, but uh, it was still amicable. She came back a week or two later for a follow-up visit, and she was the old Shirley again. And, and so I could see her every couple of weeks, and, and I'd broach the subject, you know, I, you know Shirley, Shirley, about that prayer. And she'd be like, oh, Doc, don't go there. <laughs> um, and so then it was clearly getting a few months later towards the end of her life, and Shirley was in. And I knew she wouldn't have long for this earth. And I asked her, I said, Shirley, after we talked about end-of-life care issues, I said, Shirley, you know I care about you, don't you? She said, Doc, I've seen dozens of docs all along the East Coast, and you're the best doc I've ever had because I know you care. And I said, well, Shirley, it's because I care about you that i got to ask one more time. I said, okay, I pray for you. And here's this New Englander, stoic, close, all of a sudden, never seen it before. We talk about she's going to die, nothing. Just tears starts trickling down her cheek. And she looked down at the floor, and she looked halfway up, not in my eyes. She said, she said, I don't know. She said, every time I talk to you, she said, you sound just like my daughter. Oh. Wow. I mean, I knew she had a daughter, but she never really opened up about that relationship. And, and so I wanted to I said, well, tell me, what do you mean, Shirley? And she said, as the tears coming down, she quickly wiped it away. And she said, every time I talk to my daughter, she tells me she's praying for me. I'm like, wow. I had no idea. No idea what God was doing in her life through her daughter. Well, Shirley, quickly then added on in her typical style, what is it with you people? Uh, Leave me alone. But see, God was doing a work in her life, and it was through her daughter. It had nothing to do with me. But some of those little stories and things would would lead to a little bit of opening a door, and God was using her daughter, and I was just kind of along for the ride. So faith flags, when we think about faith flags and faith stories, they ask this question, what is God doing here? What is God doing? As you walk into every room, as you dispense every prescription, as you stretch every muscle, as you do, you know, ask, what is God doing here in this person's life? And guess what? It's, it starts as you realize you're developing your call as a healthcare professional. Okay. So, Renee, come talk to us a little bit about discharging our call here. Oops. I think that was the wrong button. So once you've um, made some progress in defining what God's called you to and you're pursuing this developing of your call, you're getting to understand what it means to talk about God with your patients, then we want to talk about discharging your call and the steps um, that are involved in that. And I want you to know that being a follower of Jesus and being a missionary doesn't start just when you graduate, but it's something that starts right now. And so what does it mean for you to practice health care as ministry when you're a student as well? Um, So I'm asking you, you know, what is it like for you to interact with God on a daily basis? Are you having quiet times and times of prayer with God right now so that you're continuing to grow as a follower of Jesus? Are you involved in a Christian fellowship on campus? What are ways that you can be a missionary right where you are on your campus, in your clinical rotations, in your residency? It's very important as well. 
Are there non-Christian friends that you have in your life that you've never shared your story about how God has made your life different? And what are ways that you can be reaching out to them right now? And these are ways that you can really be a missionary before you ever leave the place where God's called you to at this time. God's gonna, Scott's going to talk about a few distractions here. Yeah, so you guys are at uh, great danger um, heading into health care. Uh, danger isn't uh, hepatitis B, it's not hepatitis C, it's not HIV. But this danger is when you think about God's calling your life as a healthcare professional, is this, is distraction, mm-hmm. right? He's not going to use some big semi-truck heading at you. Um, in fact, we have, there's a cool story about one of our medical students at the Mayo Clinic who uh, literally had the wreck off her bicycle, sure, hit, hit by a car or what, and wanted the IC for, for months and has come back. That's not what's going to distract you, <laughs> okay, by and large. It's going to be a couple other things. The first thing is this, and I say this clearly around the board and around the country. It's related to debt and finances. Okay. Debt can be one of the biggest constraining factors to prohibiting you from following God's call that there is. Okay? And so uh, what I tell the students and you guys is, listen, just because somebody offers you a loan doesn't mean you have to take it. Well, you do have to pay your school bill. I would recommend that. But what about um, you know, that Starbucks that you buy every day? Do you really need to spend $4 on that when you could buy the... One dollar coffee at the cafeteria. Now, no, of course, it's not near as good, but no, I understand. What could you do? Are there ways you could save now and live below your means now to help? I mean, Dave Ramsey's course, I think, is a must as you go through school uh, on, from Financial Peace University. So, debt. Be aware of that. What's the antidote to this? There's an antidote to this great danger. You know what it is? Is this? Live below your means. Yeah. Sorry, it's hard to see. I know. Live below your means. Okay. That's the antidote there. What's the next great danger that will lead to distraction? It's this. Cynicism. Anybody met anybody that's cynical before? Yeah, that's right. Of course. Of course you have. It, everybody starts out with this great desire. You know what it is? Why would you go into healthcare? Why would you go into nursing? Why'd, to help people, right? But what changes? Something changes along the way. It has a lot to do with that, to be honest with you. But, um, so you quickly get jaded. What's the antidote for cynicism? Gratitude. Right, being practicing thankfulness, practicing gratitude. Okay. Uh, the third thing to mention here is that'll lead towards distraction is this, and this is perhaps the most subtle and seductive, dangerous one. It's called entitlement. Right. What is entitlement? I'll tell you three words. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I deserve this. All right. Isn't it? I just worked so hard for that test. Oh, man, I deserve that. Oh, you know, I'm putting off so much stuff. I'm, you know, all my friends are out making this money, and I'm still slaving away at 2 o'clock in the morning. I deserve that. As soon as you say to yourself, I deserve that, a red flag should go up in your mind and say, no, beep, beep, beep. Alarm should go off whenever that subtle thought, I deserve it, comes in. That's dangerous. What's the antidote? But you wouldn't have thought about it. It's giving. Giving is the antidote for entitlement. And don't think it starts later. It starts now. Well, you know what I mean? I'm I'm living off all these debts. Can I do this? Well, yeah, you can do it. Did you need that $80 pair of jeans? Come on, seriously. I just got these. They're like 25 bucks at uh, Target. I mean, so you can even as a student start giving and protect yourself. Okay, what else? Renee, talk to us about mentoring. One other important thing is who is speaking into your life right now. And so all of these things that can be distractions, if there's somebody else who's really looking out for you and helping you to point out when those things are popping up into the way that you're thinking and the way that you're seeing God's call on your life. If you don't have a Christian mentor yet, I would pray that God would provide one for you. And then start asking around. Ask at your church. Ask people that you respect in your field of study. And see if there's somebody that would be willing to walk alongside you and help you as you follow Jesus and as you seek to serve him in health care. And the last thing to think about when you think about discharging, working out your call, is this. Is this idea that your day is your call. Okay, Your mission starts... Today, not when you graduate, not 
when you're out, not after you finish residency, not if you got your job. What happens is it becomes further pushed out. Okay, after I have kids. Okay, now those kids are in elementary. I can't leave now. Well, after through high school. Well, now i got to support them through college. And you see what happens? If you allow that to think that my day for serving and working out God's call in my life as a healthcare professional is when I'm blank. If you say when I'm blank, and I don't care what the blank is, you're deferring what God's call is when it should be today. Okay? And so here, we'll just, let me just conclude with this story about Javier to help you see this idea. Your day is your mission. Javier was 60 years old, hardworking uh, Honduran gentleman. And uh, we saw him in the clinic. I had a team with me, and, and I brought Julie over. Julie's a medical student. And uh, Julie was working on excising a cyst. And so uh, I helped her excise a large pilar cyst about the size of a golf ball, this guy's scalp. And uh, not a super complicated thing, but it was a nice thing. We came in with this big hat on and was able to leave without it. So we finished up, and I was kind of cleaning up, moving on to the next patient. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw Julie. But Julie was like sitting there right across from Javier, and she's weeping. And then I looked at Javier, and he's weeping. And I'm like, what in the world just happened? I mean, we used anesthesia, yeah. Uh, and I let Julie close her, but she couldn't have hurt her that bad. What is it? And so I walked over, said everything okay. And here's what the story was. Um, when we finished, Julie had asked a question to Javier and said, well, now that that cyst is gone, what are you going to do? I mean, that's a pretty benign question. But this hardened manual worker, tough guy, son, all that, started crying. Because, you see, here's what had happened. For about the last ten years... This cyst had started to grow in his scalp. And first it wasn't a big deal, but then it became prominent. So he started wearing a hat to conceal it. And he was very embarrassed about it. Uh, and so he showed up at church one day when that was larger with a hat on and wouldn't take it off. You see, in Central America, um, it's considered very inappropriate for a man to wear a hat into church. And so, in fact, the church said, take it off. And he said, mm. And I said, well, if you're not going to take it off, goodbye. And so he left. And then he went and he prayed and he asked God, God, would you please heal me of this? You can and God didn't heal him. So here's Javier, over 10 years, who felt like, A, uh, he'd been rejected from his church. In fact, he hadn't been in a church in 10 years. B, he, God didn't answer his prayer. So there's this uncaring, unloving, unhealing God, rejection by the Christian community, and here's a cyst on his head. Well, all of a sudden, just like that, this had all changed just now in about 30 minutes. And he was overwhelmed by that. That yes, God was faithful and loved him and would answer his prayer, just not when he thought. So Julie had taken the time to ask this question uh, about that. And because she didn't just go on and charge in the next one, like her attending was doing, um, she had taken the time to ask and realize her call was at that moment with that patient. Okay? So that is how you flesh out God's call on your life. So let, let's just wrap this up. So next steps. What do you do? As you're defining your call, you're developing it, you're discharging it. A couple of resources I just want to draw your attention to. For nursing friends, here's a great book by University Press called To Care. talks about a Christian worldview in nursing. For all of you, regardless of what you're doing, this is like a must-read by my good friend, Dr. David Levy. Dr. David Levy is an endovascular neurosurgeon in San Diego. He wrote a book about his journey on learning how to pray with patients. If you want to hear some stories, know about praying with patients, pick this up. This is actually at our CMDA bookstore here, too, in our exhibit. And here's also another must-read, especially if you sense God may be calling you to medical missions overseas, international medical missions. My good friend, my mentor, and they was talking about mentoring, uh, David Stevens, now my boss, um, it wrote a book called Jesus MD. Highly recommend that if you're thinking about international missions. And my good friend, uh, Dr. Walt Larimore and Bill Peel, uh, CMD is launching a brand new way of teaching you how to prescribe grace to your patients for students all the way up through docs and practitioners. It's called Grace, Practitioner, uh, grace Prescriptions. Uh, in January, we're going to do one in Augusta. February in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky, to south of Lexington. From that, then will come a small group resource that you can do on your campus as you learn how to prescribe grace with your patients. All right. So more on the website. 
I tell you what, um, Renee and I just like to have a word of prayer with you guys and sort of commission you. So uh, let me invite you to stand if you'd like to uh, just sort of receive this commissioning prayer. And and as we as you stand, uh, would you just hold your hands out, not to us, but to the Lord, just to receive from Him what He has for your plan, His plan for your life. Lord, we hold out our hands to you, giving ourselves into your service to your people. And we ask that these hands would be filled with your compassion, with your care, and with love for those who are hurting. Lord, remind us that each and every patient and each classmate and coworker is created in your image. Would you please use these hands to bring comfort, restoration, health, and your healing? And Lord, would you, with your sovereignty and your grace, remind us that you are in work in the life of each person, each family we're privileged to serve in your name. Lord, please arrange these divine appointments and then give us, your servants in healthcare, the wisdom, the discernment, and the words to point them to Jesus. We commission these students in front of us to the service of you, the great physician, as they pursue your call in their life as a future healthcare professional. In the name of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll hang around and chat if you guys want to.